Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. I'm assuming that's why everyone has children. Yeah, that's right. So you can For blame, uh, blame things on them. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Checking Out the Competition, Ottawa Senators. This is a bit of a two-for-one Checking Out the Competition episode since the Flyers are playing the Senators on two consecutive Saturdays, November 5th and November 12th, first in Ottawa and then in Philly. And we are joined this time by Nate, the managing editor of Silver Seven Cents. Nate, how are you doing? So it was at this point that Nate and I had a very lovely conversation about the city of Ottawa, how nice it is, what it was like to live there when he was a kid, how the Senator's Arena is in fact way, way far away from the actual city of Ottawa. I told you guys that it would be like if the Flyers played in King of Prussia. Nate did not get that reference, but you would have had you heard it. Yeah, we had a little bit of uh, technical difficulties. So unfortunately, you missed out on a lovely conversation about the city of Ottawa that I'm sure you would have been thrilled with, as well as Nate kind of running through the players that the Senators added during the summer, uh, most notably, obviously. Claude Giroux and Alex Demerkit, but we will be talking about them a little bit later in this podcast. You will hear about them. Apologies for the little bits of uh, Frankenstein stitchery that had to go on in this podcast, but sometimes the technology simply does not cooperate. Without further ado, the Senators. Um, so yeah, major, major overhaul of the, of the roster. I think a team that was quite bad last year and you know, deserved to be quite bad. It was a bad roster. Mm-hmm. Um, has had a pretty serious makeover and look like a good roster now. So <laughs> there's been a lot of change. It really has been like a, um, like a really quick kind of turnaround. I mean, obviously, Dembrinkit and Drew are kind of like the two, like you said, flashiest names. Um that they added to the roster, but the addition of Talbot kind of shores them up in goal. And it's like, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say anything about like a, a dead guy. I'm like, that's not cool, but it, it just is, it kind of seems like it was like a, like kind of like what happened in Chicago where mm-hmm. you kind of like needed kind of like a, a final ending to that particular era before yes. a new generation could take over and um, kind of, you know, start bringing things into the modern era. Um, did did you expect such a quick kind of like change in, I guess, culture as far as the front office goes? Or, or did you kind of expect more of the same heading into this summer? So I'll say two things about that. The first is that one of the things that has been going on in the Ottawa media 
and I guess the Ottawa kind of fans fear for the last six months, I guess it is now since Melnick died, is a little bit of tap dancing around the elephant in the room, Mm -hmm. which is that the team was extremely dysfunctional while he was in charge. And maybe people uh, who are listening to this have already seen it, but uh, Secret Base, which is one of the SB Nation um, kind of projects, I guess, just put out a YouTube video oh. on the, the collapse of the Ottawa Senators post-2017, where they had that kind of miraculous run to the conference finals and yeah. and fell to Pittsburgh. Uh, I thought they did a really good job. I'm also a little bit biased because I, I did a little bit of kind of consulting on the project. Oh, so, you know, take take my word. <laughs> but I thought Will did a really great job of capturing the fact that it was surprising that the team kind of collapsed the way it did in some ways after the 2017 run, but at the same time wasn't just because of how rotten the core of the organization was be- because of Eugene Melnick. I think one of the things that Sens fans have kind of been arguing about for a long time now, because he inherited, he when he bought the team in 2003, uh, financially, they were not really in a sound place, but the the rest of the structure of the organization was very good. Like the on-ice product was very good. The Sens were mm-hmm. very, very strong at that point in time. The um, relationship with the community was was very good. The, they used to, they sold out games forever. And we're always a hot, hot ticket, even though the, the arena was in, you know, the middle of fucking nowhere, part of my French. Um, and, you know, the relationship with the business community was good. It was, you know, a very healthy organization, a lot of ways a model small market organization. And Melnick, over time, alienated a lot of people in the organization. He stripped down the, the kind of the organization. He alienated a lot of people in the community. Um, you know, something that I think people dance around a little bit is he was a pretty, you know, notorious bigot. Like he's just mm-hmm. not a good dude by yeah. any stretch. And so, you know, to be honest, before he passed, it was always a little bit hard to tell how much was him, right? You, you know, you had an idea. I was kind of always of the mind that a lot of it was him, but you don't really know. Right. And so when he did pass and the organization's hands were freed, there was a sense that the Sens had a really big opportunity to change the way that they were doing things. Um, I actually wrote as much for the site at the time. You know, this is kind of the big chance. And the fact that they went ahead and, and really did it, like they, yeah. they in so many ways have lived up to the the fans kind of hope of what would come next the on ice stuff like you know the player acquisitions all that is is really great don't get me wrong and it really is invigorated the fan base but the way that they've gone out of their way to re-engage the community and to re-engage sense fans in general the probably the most telling aspect of it is you know longtime hero daniel alfredson Mm. had essentially been exiled from the franchise because because of, to be frank, Eugene Melnick. And he dropped the puck for the home opener. And oh, nice. the atmosphere in the arena, and it was a surprise. So the atmosphere in the arena when he came out was electric. Like It's it's difficult to kind of overstate how important Alfie is to the, the Sense fan base and organization. Mm-hmm. The fact that he was kind of in pseudo-exile because of Melnick. 
um, was always a huge sore point. And the fact that he's now back in the fold, as it were, he helped out with training camp, is such, so symbolic of, of the change. So to long-winded way of saying the opportunity was there for things to be dramatically different. Um, I wasn't sure if it would happen that way, but it, mm-hmm. it, it definitely has, which is, I, it, it's, it's really hard to convey to outsiders how excited people are about the Sens again, like how down mm-hmm. everyone was, like how beat down, you know, all these years of, of the Melnick ownership, you know, made Sens fans and how this kind of perfect storm of the young guys that they drafted through the rebuild are coming into their own. They've made these outside additions. Oh, and now the team actually seems to care about the fans again. <laughs> you know, they're re-engaging with people. They're, you know, starting up their foundation again. Like I, I could talk for hours about what they're doing differently, but it is so invigorating to, to have it happen. Yeah. I have to say from the outside, like just as, you know, a longtime hockey fan, I, love seeing it happen because I just feel like there are certain teams in the league that when they are doing well, it just makes the league, I think, better as a whole. Like, I mean, I don't mean to be like shitty, but like if the, you know, the Arizona Coyotes are bad, like, you know, hockey's fine. If like the Dallas Stars are bad, hockey's fine. But I always felt like the Sabres being bad is kind of a bummer. Yes. For hockey as a whole, the Senators being bad is kind of a bummer. What's going on with the Canucks is kind of a bummer. There's just like kind of those like obviously not original teams, but kind of just the the old school NHL like pre expansion expansion teams that just like you know you want them to be good. It's more fun when they're competitive, in my opinion. Yeah, and and also really. I, this is going to sound like a strange thing to say, but when they made their run in 2017, mm-hmm. one of the things that the national media, especially in Canada, I don't even know this made it across the border, but especially in Canada picked up on is that the Sens didn't sell out some of their home playoff dates. And mm. that was like a source of, of mockery. And that I think really underlines how much of a shadow and how much of a Paul Melnick cast on the fan base in general. Yeah. And for me, I have to say, you know, I've been, writing for silver seven for i guess eight years now i've been a fan of the team you know for about 25 years um i was i will out myself as originally being a, a habs fan because i'm old <laughs> enough i'm old enough that uh, i was a, no sense there were no senators yeah when, when i was a very <laughs> young kid and my father was a Habs fan so um since converted but anyways the, the 2017 run i also felt that like I was watching every game and I was writing about it and I was excited and it was fun, but it, it did feel not as good. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And that's kind of gone now. It, it's, it's much, much easier to be unreservedly excited about things. That's awesome. I love that for you guys. Thanks. I don't know if you're active at all on Twitter, but um, too, for too some active. reason it, it's <laughs> same. Um, It seems like, so many of like the prominent nerds in the hockey sphere are Suns fans. Like Micah McCurdy, who is actually one of my dearest friends. I loved him for a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. He's a, a Suns fan, which is yes. funny. And um, Manny, who's no really no longer really part of the the hockey stats sphere, it seems like he was a Suns fan. Just it seems like for some Pat reason, Pat Kane. 
yeah, like yeah. Levels. yeah. Right, yeah. Like, just a lot of, like, for some reason, a lot of the super smart people just happen to be, like, absolutely rabid fans of this team that's been, you know, kind of a disaster for a long time. And so it's actually really nice to see, you know, people like you and people like them who've been hanging on for a long time, you know, finally get to, like, actually enjoy a hockey season. It's fun for everybody, do, I think. Do you, it's funny you bring up Micah and uh, Manny. You want a really deep cut from Hockey Twitter Analytics? Do I um, ever. I, yeah, many, many, many years ago. <laughs> I couldn't tell you how long ago now. Um, Manny had a site called SendStats. Did he? Yes. Uh, very short-lived. There were four people who wrote for it. Uh, Manny, uh, a guy who writes for our site named Ari uh, Maharaj, uh, Micah, and me. There was, those were the four people <laughs> that wrote for Sam. Oh, my God. <laughs> we did. I think I wrote, like, two or three articles. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it is fun. It's, like, the Sens have a very rabid fan base. Yeah. I think that there are a lot of people who, um, you know, have wanted to see the team do better and i think um you know one of the traits of the of the melnick era certainly was a resistance to any number of things in, including you know looking at things through an analytics lens um mm-hmm. he, he melnick had a famous quote once about uh analytics were worthless he did he used to own uh, racehorses yeah he, he did horse he did horse analytics but not hockey analytics. oh god oh yeah just a gem anyways so you know that that's <laughs> that's been a, a source of, of kind of pride i think for a lot of of sense fans for for a long time is yeah the, the community is pretty vibrant and if again referencing twitter um there are a lot of really funny people on Sense Twitter. I oh know my God. Flyers One of Twitter the is best. great. <laughs> Flyers no, Twitter Sense... is also pretty great, but Sense Twitter, I really have to say, is I'm it, I'm definitely not one of the funny people. Like if you're following me, it's it's much more boring. But <laughs> there are a lot of really really funny people on Sense. Twitter. Yeah, it, it's one of the the better groups. I mean, the way that the sickos meme has just oh, like infiltrated all of us like forever. And it's so funny. It, yeah, it's it's a very good group. And honestly, I think that that kind of humor comes from suffering for a yes, long time. Yes. 100. So. I was that's exactly what I was going to say. You know, you yeah. you learn to look at the absurdity of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you know, you can't if you're the uh the Leafs, you're not, you know, not that funny. No. No. You guys are a little up your own asses, but anyway, um Let's talk about the games that the Suns have played. So as you said, off to a hot start, um, but started off, started off with a couple of losses, 4-1 mm-hmm. to Buffalo, 3-2 to, to the Leafs. But after that, like really picked it up, 7-5 over Boston, which is pretty wild, 5-2 over the Caps, pretty wild, 6-2 over Arizona. That's a lot of goals, but also it's Arizona. So, you know, but still. Um, and then 4-2 over the Stars uh, just this past Monday. We're recording this on October 26th. Um, anyway, that's a heck of a lot of goals that you guys have been scoring. Um, what would you say has been kind of the thing that's that's clicking the most for the Suns in these early games? So two things. One is that the top two lines are ridiculously talented. The yeah. Stuzla, Batherson, Kachuk line is great. And then until Josh Norris's injury, which just happened in the last game, and, and it looks like it could be potentially quite bad, you know, the, 
they were then rolling out a second line that had Giroud, Brinkett, and, and Norris, who's a 35-goal scorer last year, on it. And that's just so much offensive firepower. Mm-hmm. I think at the start of the year, the concern, the real concern was, okay, they've got these two lines that are going to light people up, but then, you know, are they going to have the depth in the form of the third and the fourth line? The fourth line is is still very much like kind of a grindy, hitty fourth line, so they are mm-hmm. what they are. But the third line center is is Shane Pinto, who I alluded to earlier, who's already got five goals, and they are generating offense. And so the Sens, remarkably, at five on five, have just been steamrolling teams. They're something like sixth or seventh in the league and in expected goals for at five on five, which I was... Wow. I, I thought they would be... The the kind of read on them at the start of the year was that they were going to be passable five on five and that their special teams were going to be electric because, you know, they were going to be able to roll two power play units that, you know, had had multiple 30 goal scorers on each unit. But, you know, it was kind of going to be survive at five on five, break even, then light them up on the power play but their five on five play has been absolutely outstanding and the other thing that's driving that is the other kind of new arrival internal new arrival that i alluded to earlier jake sanderson on defense has given the sends three good pairings along with the emergence of eric brandstrom who's uh, our short little king they he was the one they they traded mark stone for um, ah. back in back in time and kind of hasn't has shown a lot of promise, but hasn't really lived up to, I guess, expectations. Um, and in this kind of third pairing role where he's definitely been, you know, kind of given the the green light to, to go create offensively has been great. So the, the Sens effectively on each pair have, you know, one guy who's a great puck mover, uh, mm-hmm. Shabbat, Sanderson, and then Brandstrom. And then have one guy that's ostensibly the stopper, so Zub, um, Hamannick, and and Holden, and they're they just right now it's six games into the season. You know they just lost a guy, one of their top guys to an injury, so I I shouldn't be so cavalier about it. But they they have real depth. They are they are rolling four lines. They're rolling three D pairs. Everyone's playing with a with a fair amount of skill. Like the the game against the Caps. Um, that they won, they crushed the Capitals in the third period. I have been watching Ottawa Senators hockey for a long time, and I cannot really remember the last time that they just rolled a team like that in the third period. And the same thing against the Stars. The Stars got hmm. one late after they pulled the goalie, but it was a 1-1 game going into the third, and the Sens reeled off three three straight to make it 4-1, and wow. Dallas got kind of a you know a six-on-five cheapy late to to make the scoreline look closer than it was. Um, but yeah, since they've come home, they've just been rolling teams, um, which is wonderful. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. 
It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hit Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. So before we get specifically to Claude Drew, um, I mean, I, I feel like I know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you see, like, in guys like, you know, Brady Kachuk, who's been around... Um, Stutzla, Shabbat, like these guys that have been on the team for a few years now, is there like a noticeable kind of like jump to them now that this is a team that brought in talent that really seems to be going for it? Like, can you see them playing differently just because of the way the team changed over the summer? So for Stutzla, I think the difference is noticeable because he, first of all, he's only 20. So he's, yeah, yeah. he's still Im- improving, but the, what the addition of De, of Giroux and Debrinket gives the Senators, it, this kind of seems trite and obvious, but they actually have two full lines of skilled players. So what was happening in in Stuzla's early seasons, first two years he played, he was eventually nominally the second line center, but the first line was Batherson, Norris, and Kachuk, leaving. Stuzla with Connor Brown and Nick Paul as his wingers, which, mm-hmm. you know, God bless Connor Brown and Nick Paul. You know, they can play on my team any day, but they're just, they do not, they don't have the skill. They don't, they're not right. top line guys. Right. And so for Stuzla, who's actually right now is, is playing with, with, with Kachuk and, and Batherson, the plays that he's making are now being completed by his teammates. Right. Whereas, you know, in the first two years, he was also not quite as good, but even then he was making plays and guys were just biffing it. Right. And that's yeah. just that, that's, that's different. And I think for, you know, the guys like, like Kachuk and, and, and Batherson and so on um, and, Sh- and Shabbat, they're just, everyone is a, a capable NHLer now. Right. And so when they are doing the things that they do well, people are completing the play. Whereas before it used to be, well, you know, maybe this is going to end up on Chris Tierney's stick or something, right? Mm. <laughs> and, you know, God bless, that's going to hit the goalie in the chest. So <laughs> I, I think from from the perspective of the the re- the remaining players, just the depth, right? The yeah. the fact that, you know, when they've got their top guys on the ice, first of all, they're more, you know, capable top guys. But when they've got their top guys on the ice, there's five capable players on the ice. It's difficult when, I mean, you guys are kind of maybe going through this a little bit, but... Mm. When when you're a, a bad team, it's kind of hard to see um to separate a little bit the good from the bad players to some degree because they're all kind of interacting with each other, right? You kind of yeah. get this idea of like, okay, the these these look like the good players, but I'm not totally sure because I haven't seen them play with other competent NHLers. Um mm-hmm. but now, you know, everyone on the team basically is a competent NHLer and that is so noticeable. Yeah, it sounds pretty nice. I remember those days. <laughs> I remember having a team of competent NHLers. Those were the days in Philadelphia. Um, so, yeah, since, I mean, I know everyone's 
listening to this anyway, wants to know how Claude Giroux is doing. Um, you know, just based off of, you know, highlights and stuff that I've seen, looks like he's doing pretty good. Looks like he's doing really well on the power play, which is not at all surprising. Um, how are you liking the Claude Giroux era in Ottawa so far? I'm pretty stoked. Uh, it's it's funny because I actually, so Flyers fans, I'm sure this will not make me any friends, but the rumor that Claude Giroux was going to come to Ottawa has been around for a while. It um, sure has. We've it always really, laughed at it like, yeah, right. Yep. Why would he go there? <laughs> I would have been right there with you. Why would he come to Ottawa? Um I, and this is, you know, not to put too fine a point on it to your question, does any of this happen if Eugene Melnick is still alive? I don't hmm. know. Um, but um, when this idea was originally floated and discussed in the sense, Twitter's fear, I was actually kind of, this is going to sound like heresy, I was kind of opposed to the idea of Giroud coming in um, because A, I thought he would command a higher price tag. And mm-hmm. B, I didn't see the Sens doing what else was necessary to make the team good. Do you know what I mean? Um, right. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Did not see the Debrinket trade coming, did not see, you know, a variety of things that they've done to improve the team. So, you know, in the context of the Senators a year ago, I was kind of like, uh, is a really good player. Do not get me wrong. But, you know, uh, I don't know about that. It, he signed for what I think is a bargain contract. And yeah. he is you can tell the skill and the vision, you know, I've, I've watched Claude Giroux play hockey plenty before. So, you know, I, I'm aware that he's a very skilled player. The thing that I would say that I notice now that I'm watching him every game instead of, you know, five or six times a season or whatever, or when he plays with, with Canada is the commitment to never giving the puck up cheap. Mm-hmm. And if he does lose the puck, the, battle to get it back is outrageous he is a beast um and i was not i wasn't expecting that that's that's been the kind of most pleasant surprise for me he's like a kachuk level battler um yeah when it comes uh, to that kind of thing he i mean like he had you know we all heard stories when he was here in philadelphia about how like buddy did not like to lose like anything like a poker Mm. game a darts game, a pool game. Like he would try to whoop your ass and get really mad if he didn't. Like this guy just did not like to lose, which is always what is so wild to me, the way that, you know, some Flyers fans found a way to to blame him for everything going wrong with the team because he was the captain. But like realistically, he was the guy more than anyone else trying to get the entire team to win. And it's just like, it seems like, and I'm sure that you're seeing it too. Like he just isn't going to let them be bad hockey players. You know what I mean? Like he is going to force these guys to do better just by way of, you know, his work ethic, the way he works on the ice, his attitude. Like he's just not going to accept failure, which is why I think, I don't know how many Flyers games you've watched over the last couple of years, but like, you could see on this man's face that he was like having a real bad time because the Flyers were just a disaster of a hockey team. And so it's kind of nice to see him. It's nice to see him with Florida look like he was having fun. Um, But it's nice to see him kind of almost 
like obviously he's not the leader on the team, but almost kind of come onto a team on its way up that he can kind of like help shape. You know what I mean? Like he can kind of get this team to a place that it hasn't been in a long time. Yeah, cool. I, 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 I totally agree. He from the outside seems like he's having a great time. The yeah. locker room seems to be vibing really well. Um, I would be, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I won't linger on this because it's not a fun topic. I would be remiss if I didn't say that the looming black cloud of Drake Batherson's potential involvement mm. with the Hockey Canada scandal yeah. doesn't loom in the back of my mind and the mind of a lot of Sens fans. It kind of seems like it, there's, it's, it's, too, it's too big a deal to, to ever totally ignore. But mm-hmm. because of the way the situation's being handled, you kind of almost, I don't know, you don't really have a choice but to kind of ignore it right now. Not ignore it, but I don't know how to put that properly. Oh, no, so, I, to- I mean, we're, we're doing it with, with uh, Carter Hart. So, like, yep. I totally no, you get guys, it. I mean, so exactly. You guys are in the, the exact mm-hmm. same boat. You understand exactly what I'm talking about. But besides that, the, the vibes are off the chart. Like, the, the vibes yeah. around this team are incredible. Um, and Giroud definitely seems like he's a part of that. Which is fantastic. I personally love to see it. Okay. So you talked a little bit before about Shane Pinto as one of the guys that's really been impressive. One of the newer guys that's been impressive. Um, is there anybody else on the team that we might not know about that we should keep an eye on in this game? The um, the fourth line uh, is uh, made up of... Um, Parker Kelly, uh, Mark Kastelik, and Austin Watson. So Watson's been around the league forever. Name might be familiar to, to some. Kelly's uh, relatively new in the sense that um, he'd been mostly kind of playing in the minors in, until last year and then, um, you know, kind of secured himself a full-time spot on the team this year. And and Kastelik definitely, um, you know, was, was a draft pick from a few years ago who's, who's now made his way. Um, onto the team they are definitely not the most skilled guys but they are mm-hmm. grinders in the truest sense of the word and they hit everything that move and mark castellic is a big boy i think he's mm. 230 um oh wow yeah oh yeah he's a big boy uh and he is an absolute monster in the face-off circle as a result i think he's winning something like 60 percent of his draws um they will play a brand of hockey that I think appeals especially to Philadelphia Flyers fans. They are mm. out there um, banging, banging and crashing. So the the top guys you you've heard of um, already, besides and as I said, you know Pinto and, and Sanderson on the back end. Um, but Sanderson's a, a very very highly regarded prospect. I'm, I'm sure Flyers fans will at least heard mention his name. He's also you know been playing for the Team USA junior squads over the years. Um, so he looks he looks fantastic, one of the best skaters I've ever seen. But yeah, if you're looking for a little more under the radar, especially if things get a little feisty, as has happened mm-hmm. Sens and Flyers in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> do you know, I, this is a kind of a strange question to ask you, do you know there was a, a, a very famous Flyers-Sens game that at one point was the record for most penalty minutes in a game? Um, yeah. Is that still the record, do you know? I don't know off the top of my head. I would be surprised if it wasn't because I can't remember a game since then that was that 
insane. Like that was just next level. It was outrageous. Crazy. Uh, according to this very hasty Google search of mine, it is still the record. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would definitely not be surprised. That I think. I'm. Sh- I mean, that lives in every Flyers fan's memory. That was a very, <laughs> a very fun evening. Our one of our hosts on Broad Street Hockey Radio, Bill Matz. He, uh, the Sens, I think, are his least favorite team. <laughs> because, because of, the of that that era of of sends flyers interaction which is very funny to me i'm like bill how can it be like how of all the teams in the league can the sends be your least favorite team he absolutely hates the senate slayers when drew went there he was like what am i supposed to do now like how, how am i supposed to resolve this inside of myself my, my favorite fact but, about that and then i promise we'll go back to current is how bobby clark tried to go fight jacques martin who was the coach at the time I don't know if it, like, I mean, it's such a Bobby Clark thing to do. But... Truly. <laughs> Anyways. Um, what would you say? One more question about just how the team's playing now. What's the worst part of this ends game right now? Where are they struggling? The, the special teams actually haven't been great. The, the penalty kills. Really? The, the, yeah. The penalty kills been kind of flammable. Um, and the power play hasn't, they're getting chance. They've converted pretty well, but I I think everyone was was hoping that they would be you know one of the five best units in the league, and that that yeah. has that hasn't really come to pass. Um, hmm. as, as much as I was complimenting the the fourth line, who I think have been better than I would hope they would be, um, they when the Sens were on the road, particularly against the Leafs, um, Keith, uh, the Leafs coach was throwing the Matthews line over the boards the moment Kasselik stepped on the ice. So that fourth line is plays a certain way and they have a certain skill set, but it kind of means they could be susceptible to getting, you know, speed bagged by by an opponent's top line. So if the Sens are on the road, the depth is going to get tested a lot more. Like one of the things about them kind of running riot at home is they get the matchups that they want. Right. And I think, in the right. matchups that they want, if they can get their top two lines or, or the, the third line out against the opponent's top six, they're going to be great. But, you know, and it also allows them to, to shelter their, their defense pairings a little bit. I, I think, you know, in the kind of home ice context, the, the Sens lineup is very manageable. When they're on the road and they mm-hmm. have less control over these things, kind of like what happened against Toronto and at times against Buffalo, the depth gets tested more. And that that is still... If not an area of concern, then you know still something of a potential weakness, right? Like if you look at, you know, yeah. the the Colorados and the Tampas of the world, um, you know, whose fourth lines were more than able to hold their own. Ottawa's not at that point right now. Um, so that would I would still say, you know, there's still a, a little bit of potential weakness there. The last thing I will ask you, as I do everyone who does these little podcasts, and this one will be extra fun because we are recording this so far in advance. Um, give me a couple of final score predictions for these two games. Sure. So um, I think that the homecoming game, uh, the Flyers are going to be extremely revved up. It's going to be extremely emotional. Uh, I've heard through, I guess, people who follow. Uh, these things on Instagram that Giroud's right wife has said that they're working with the Players Tribune uh, ahead of the homecoming game. So I think there's going to be a big emotional Ooh. Giroud thing. Uh, on, yeah, yeah, on the fifth. 
So I think, I regrettably, I think the Flyers are going to be extremely fired up, and they'll win three two in overtime, uh, and then I think okay. they get back to Ottawa. I think I've got the order of that right, right? It's it's Philadelphia. No, or oh, I've got it backwards. In Ottawa on the fifth, in Philly on the twelfth. The predictions hold. The Sens are going to paste them in Ottawa, <laughs> like six one, and lose an okay. overtime, you know, tear filled event three two in Philly. I honestly, I I am right there with you. I I think that they'll lose. The Flyers will lose in Ottawa, um, especially now after you've told me that they're kind of running house at home. Um, and also, I kind of think that Giroux going to do a little fu, you know, in his new building. Um, so he might have a little bit of extra jump in that game. Uh, and then. Yeah, I can kind of see the Flyers kind of doing the same thing. Like, not really an FU, because I think all of these guys still really love and respect Claude Giroux, but just kind of like a, you know, got to show him who's boss. It'll be a good, I mean, one of the things I've always loved about uh, watching Flyers hockey over the years is that the crowd has always struck me as like a real, like one of the things that's been depressing about the Sens the last few years because of everything that's gone on with ownership is people haven't really gotten a chance, non-Sens fans mm-hmm. or even recent Sens fans to experience how electric the crowd can be in Ottawa when the team's going good and when, and when things are good. I think the home opener um, for anyone that, that didn't watch it, like the crowd was incredible. And I've always respected that and liked that about Flyers hockey. So I, I suspect that we're going to see the same kind of thing for that, that Giroux home homecoming i think the the, the i think the, oh, yeah. the flyers faithful will be up to the task i i i think so too i mean the team's been so bad for so long now that it, it's kind of the same thing like there are people who have become flyers fans in the last three or four years that have like no idea why flyers fans have the reputation that we do because the building's been kind of a tomb just because the team's bad um but last year, you know, Claude's last game was just like, it felt like the 2010 cup run again. Like the building was absolutely electric and heading into the season, we were kind of saying like, there's two games this season that we can expect the building to be good. One of them was the home opener, which it was pretty good. And the other one's Claude Drew's first time back. And I, I do think that the building's going to be, it'll probably be one of the few sellouts. And I do think it'll be a pretty good atmosphere which always makes for a better game yeah absolutely all right nate thank you so much for doing this i apologize again for all of the super fun technical difficulty um if you would like to you can tell people where they can find you on the internet sure so i'm the managing editor for silver seven which is uh the sp nation site for the ottawa senators silver seven sends.com is the url if you want to follow me on Twitter, which would be a terrible mistake, but if you decide you do want to do that, uh, <laughs> my handle is at NKB121, uh, which is a series of letters and numbers. But yeah, at NKB121 is, is my handle. <laughs> All right, Nate, thank you so much. I hope that you enjoy these two games. I, I really think that they're going to be a show for us just you know because of the circumstances. So hopefully they're a lot of fun. Hopefully everyone listening enjoys them. Go Flyers. Go Sands. <laughs> Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's 2023 and you're still looking for a baseball podcast? What's up, party people? Danny Vietti here from the Wake and Rake podcast. Yes, I know the name of our show, Freaking Rocks. 
Join World Series champion Will Middlebrooks and I as we banter about the best of the best from Major League Baseball, including power rankings. One of the best players of all time. Headlines. Solidifies a dynasty. And special guests. Reese Hoskins. Throw Show. Jose Trevino. Listen and or watch every episode of the Wake and Rake podcast, available on all your favorite listening platforms and the all-new Believe Sports channel.